There are many wonderful people adding to the positive outlook of a backcountry and hunting lifestyle. Our goal is to join them in promoting that outlook. Welcome to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and tactics of our outdoor pursuits. everybody and welcome back to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast. Today we have a very special treat. We are down in Minneapolis sitting in the gym area at the Hyatt Regency <laughs> with Lan Tani, president and CEO of BHA. He's somebody that we've known and gotten to know over the years here through BHA at different events and stuff like that. And we think he's a great spokesman for public lands. And he's an extremely busy guy, so we got lucky enough to snag him for a little bit here. So we're going to run into all kinds of issues and talk about all kinds of business today. Let's just get some stuff in between reps, right? Yeah. So We're sitting in like a lounge, by the way. We're not like in a gym. We're off to the side of the gym. We're where you go when you tell your wife you're working out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, first of all, Land has been super busy recently. Um, he was at the Capitol, our nation's capital, testifying on behalf of the Boundary Waters. And I know we kind of talked about it a little bit beforehand that there's a couple things that he didn't get a chance to speak on. So we're going to give him that platform now. So Land, why don't you go ahead? What are some of the big things that you wish you would have been able to say or wish they would have even asked you? Sure. I think, I mean, I'd start with uh, what an honor it was to, you know, represent, I think, you know, just backcountry hunters and anglers members in general, our 40,000 members, but also the 1600 that live here in Minnesota. You yeah. know, and I think I get to talk a lot um, either in front of crowds or, you know, to with the senator sitting across the table i don't get nervous about that stuff but i was super nervous uh to testify just because of you know i didn't want to screw up you know yeah yeah and and so so got to do it you you get your five minutes um which i don't usually read things but i want to make sure that you know every every word they're listening to every single word and so i told some stories about the boundary water so it's had some uh, sigils and quotes in there uh, but again, five minutes isn't that much. And I think yep. one of the bigger ones that I didn't get asked, and I talked about how there's never been a copper sulfide mine ever that hasn't leached. Yep. But there's also, you know, firsthand experiences of that. And that's in Montana where we have the number one Superfund site. And it starts in Butte and then goes all the way down to Missoula where I'm from. That's about an hour and a half away. So 120 miles. Yeah. And, and you know, that copper sulfide uh, mine, um, it still continues to, I mean, it, they've cleaned up a lot of that, um, but it is, again, the number one super fun site. And so this mm. is this legacy of that mine. And when you think about, you know, I'm not, you know, against mining. Um, we all need it. Uh, but when you think about it, not one mine has ever leached ever, or never, it's not ever not leached, I guess, yeah. um, is how you say it, is that why are we putting this in a place that is so sensitive? You know, and you think about mines down in Nevada where it's very um, sandy and they still have problems. Like you're going to a place where, it, I mean, you can't throw a rock without hitting water. You can't walk along without stepping in water when you're up in the boundary waters. Yeah. And so to me, I think that was one uh, for sure. I think when I think about, you know, they, they really, when they talk about the outdoor economy, um, it's always like burger flipping jobs and these jobs that don't really matter. Right. And that to me, I just, it just, you know, for the, all the people that are running outfits up there, you know, I'm like, I'm like Steve Paragas was there and he has like a $1.1 million payroll. You yeah. Know? Right. Like, yeah. I mean, there's real money being spent up there mm-hmm. and there's real money that's happening. And let alone the people, I mean, we were just talking before we turned this on, 
people can kind of live wherever they want now, right? And do business. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot of people that live up in that area that live there because of the boundary waters and the opportunities that are there that, you know, are stockbrokers, you know, or lawyers or yeah. whoever they are because they can live there right next to that place. And so I think, you know, there's that piece. And I think also we really didn't get into this that much, but, you know, I look at the boundary waters as kind of like the Yellowstone of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like this national treasure, you know, and I really, I think it means a lot to people in Minnesota, but, you know, when I testified, I started getting calls from, you know, and, and messages from people all over the country. You know, there was some, there was a policeman in uh, Washington, D.C. It was like, thank you so much for testifying today. That was one of my favorite places in the world. Oh, nice. And so, you know, one of the cool. great things about the boundary waters is that, while it's very important to Minnesota, that belongs to me just as much as it belongs to people that live here in Minnesota. Yeah. And I think getting that across, you know, and how important this is to not only Minnesota and the clean water that is here and the opportunities that you have up there, but how important that is to the entire country. Yeah. So I think, you know, those are the probably the big ones that I wish, you know, and I, I really, as I, you know, kind of went through that hearing and kind of the aggressiveness in particular from the ranking member Gozar from Arizona I was really wanting them to ask me questions, you know, and not so that I could be aggressive back, but so I could ask, you know, answer those directly and really from a a hundred angler perspective. Mm -hmm. And uh, they didn't ask the questions. And I, I looked at that. I was frustrated at first, but I think they really did that on purpose uh, because they didn't want to be seen as taking on hunters and anglers, you know, around this issue. And Hey, it's going to be all right. Like, you know, like we hunt and fish up there too. I'm like, yeah, I'm glad that you hunt and fish up there, but like something (laughs) is going to happen. It's not a matter if it's going to be when. Yeah. And so I, I think I take that. And while I was frustrated, I also think it's an opportunity for, you know, us to continue kind of to raise the hunter and angler voice here in Minnesota. Um, especially with the governor, I think. Um, but you know, <laughs> Again, I think they did that very much on purpose. You're spot on by raising the hunter and angler voice here in Minnesota. And I, I was talking to Brian about something completely off subject, but along those lines yesterday where I got reached out by somebody who who directs a visitor center here, and he's talking about pushing the hunting and fishing aspect more mm-hmm. rather than just the you know, bringing birders and stuff sure. like that. He wants to push the hunting and fishing aspect. And it sounds like they're getting a lot of support. So... That's good news in a way. It is good news. And I think if you look at the demographics of hunters and anglers, you know, they tend conservative. Mm -hmm. You know, our members here at BHA, we have 33% independent, 26% Republican, 23% Democrat, and the rest are kind of either undecided or smaller parties. And that feels like America to me. But again, sportsmen in general are more conservative. And so, but they, you know, hunters and anglers have been at the, at the kind of, root of all conservation that's happened in this country, yeah, you know, whether right. that's back in the late 1800s to the, you know, turn of the century when Roosevelt was in office to the dirty thirties, you know, to yeah. when rivers were on fire in the sixties. And, and so they've always been a part of it. And so I think, you know, to me, that's why they have more of an influential voice mm-hmm. is because they do tend a little bit more conservative. And so for folks that are kind of from that side of the aisle, it's much easier conversation than somebody that's like, man, I just, you know, I'm a, I'm on the far, far left. And I, you know, I love the boundary waters, which is yeah. awesome. Yeah. You know, I think everybody should love it. And it's, it takes all people, yep. but they just don't have as much of a voice with those more conservative people. Yeah. yeah. I think the problem I always run across, I feel like, and, um, when I'm talking to those people is that a lot of them just want to follow party policy. And I think that's wrong. It is wrong. Feel mm-hmm. free to be a free thinker. Right. Go outside the box. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like it's okay to be conservative and be super pro public lands. Yes, and that, and Chad and I were actually talking about that last night after I I went to the pint night we had with you here in Minnesota, and yeah. I I lean conservatively, and 
you know, but I look at something like the Boundary Waters and you're, you know, you mentioned, and we really appreciate you speaking on our behalf there in Washington and it, and it being the number one visited wilderness right. area in the United States is a big deal. Yeah. And I think about over 200,000 people visiting that place each year. And I think about, uh, just, it seemed to be, it seems to me that it, it, it although politics seem to be very complicated in this situation, it just seems like something that is very nearsighted uh, from that side of, of the political aisle to say, you know, we need this to happen now, and it's nearsighted, and what makes, what makes the mining jobs more important than the people who have lived there for generations as outfitters and continue to employ people? Yep. You know, I get these messages on Instagram about, you know, opportunities. They're all reaching out, like, for, for their season help, and I just think about those people and think yep. if, you know, if something... If we put that at risk, what are the consequences for those people? And, totally. and why would we risk what they already have established to establish something that hasn't been proven? Totally. And it's yep. tough to, you know, it's a, it's, it's a difficult conversation a lot of times, but I think, uh, like you said at the pint night last night, we need to turn up the heat and we need to be, we need to be louder because uh, it, like, it seems like often the other side is very loud. Yeah, you know, and, uh, on that the job thing on on the uh, the benefits of the Boundary Waters, I had a friend that went to school at Vermilion Community College, and the only jobs they could get were at resorts or fixing cabins throughout the season and stuff like that. Otherwise, it was work at the gas station, work at the bowling alley, work at the yeah. bar, and that was it. Yeah. And if you wanted to stay there during the summer, the only way to sustain it was by working for outfitters and resorts and mm-hmm. stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So. When I think that you know, back to the like the conservative nature, right? Like democracy is run by the people, right? Right. Maybe some elected officials aren't going to get there right away, but it's our job to demand it, right? Right, (laughs) right, And I think, and it's like, you can be conservative on many other issues, let's say. But then there's this public land stuff in the middle, which I think is very universal. Like I wouldn't say that's conservative or liberal. It's like right in the middle, you know? And like, there's many examples of that. But it's up to us, you know, the people to demand it. Mm Because if we don't demand it, you know, they're going to hear from other people. They're going to hear... um, the other side is very well moneyed, right? But we have the people, and we just need to speak up more. Yeah. And I think it was telling that they um, that they mentioned you being from Montana again, mm-hmm. because I thought, w- what kind of a disconnect for what it actually means that you own the Boundary Waters just as much as we've all been yeah. born in Minnesota and lived sure. here our whole lives, and so, somebody from New Mexico. Uh, has just as much right and access to it as we do, or even the people that do employ people and have outfitters there, right. you know, it's so that's about as American as it gets. Right. <laughs> well, and, again, yeah. and again, you know, like, I mean, it wasn't like I woke up one day and was like, man, we got to go work on the boundary waters. You yeah. know, I mean, this chapter in Minnesota has been around, you know, before I even got here Yeah. and which was seven years ago. So that's, I think they're about 10 years in yeah. and you know, this has been an issue for them, you know, since they started yep. and, and it's because of the, I mean, that idea you bring up, that's one, another question I wish they would ask me. Right. And that probably would have been from somebody else, not from the folks opposing, but would have been like, so why is this the most accessible wilderness? You know? And like, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later, maybe about the Bob Marshall, but like the Bob Marshall, pretty much every single time I go in there, I got to go up and over the top of a ridge, which is super steep. And then once you get in, they got that ridge line, you're basically in the Bob, which is awesome, but it is tough, you know, and that's two or three miles or four where you're going up some pretty steep stuff. When you're in the Boundary Waters, you basically, you know, you either do a small portage or you get in your canoe and you're in. And, and you're it's in. like unbelievable, yeah. you know. And then you have, and that's why I think in my testimony I said, you know, from three to 99, you know. Mm-hmm. And like, so you can get in this canoe 
and it's pretty easy. And then you get to these portages, and you know it's not steep Montana like ridges. Right. I mean, there's some you know with the canoe yeah. on, it's a little difficult, especially for somebody that's not used to it. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty accessible, you know. Yeah, and, it is. And that to me, again, is why it's such a treasure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we've definitely. got a friend up there right now, Paul. He's up there with his kid. Right. His kid's seven. And they're hiking into a waterfall and camping and doing everything. And yeah, it's it's extremely accessible. Yeah. Yeah. Winter, summer, anytime. Whereas like the Bob, in the wintertime, you're pretty much not getting in. No, I mean, I think there's some people that go in there with the snowshoes and stuff, yeah. but those are the hardy few. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> because a storm can come in and you know, drop two feet on you yeah. when you're in there. And yeah. you're gonna, you have to be prepared, I would yeah. say. Yeah. 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 Well, again, Lynn, thank you for, for speaking on our behalf oh, there, just as as Minnesotans. But not, you know, that's one way to look at it is speaking on our behalf, but you're just speaking on the behalf of, of everyone in the United States that loves, the, mm-hmm. you know, the Boundary Waters. So, yeah. um, Even more daunting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was no quite pressure. the honor, though. I mean, I, I, I'm serious. Like, I... I, I it was quite the honor, and I, yeah. and you know, I hope to have the chance to do it again. But you know, it was very special for me. Awesome, that's awesome. awesome. Cool. Yeah. So, back on to kind of a little more just about land. You grew up in Montana, as we just talked about. Yeah. Um, your dad was a conservationist, and he was yep. active with Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Um, what is there a moment that kind of stands out to you, like as a kid growing up in the outdoors, that really like pushed you to the path of kind of following in your dad's footsteps uh yeah i mean i i think you know i was very lucky to grow up where i had parents that kind of immersed me in the outdoors and was on my dad's back fishing when i was two you know in the duck blind when i was six you know when as soon as i could you know really walk in his footsteps up those steep mountains and deep snow i wasn't even carrying a rifle but you know i was behind him Mm -hmm. so that was like kind of we just immersed ourselves and um but i would say the moment when this is kind of crazy you know as a kid i I really didn't pay attention to what my mom and dad were doing that much. Yeah. You know, it was like, it was kind of like osmosis almost. And I kind of was around it. But then my father passed away when I was, uh, when I was 19 slash 20. And that was, you know, it's the most significant moment of my life for sure. Um, and, and a huge tragedy. He was, uh, 45. I turned 45 this year. And so there's the juxtaposition of that is just kind of mm-hmm. crazy for wow. me right now. But so that happens and I'm out in Seattle going to school and I'm chasing girls, having fun, you know, really, I mean, almost what you should be doing at that age, right? Yeah. And he had convinced me he was going to be okay, so I didn't come home. And then he passes away, and I'm able to make it home But right before he does. But that was pretty rough, and I was in a pretty dark place for a little bit. And then one night at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm coming home after carousing with my buddies, and we lived a little bit out of town. I'm going home, and this mountain lion runs across the road in front of me, and it stops. And it, like, looks at me. This is, like, super weird. Looks at me. And like usually, I would just be gone. And it stops, and then it runs back, you know, across the road again. And I watch that that powerful predator, and its back is like flat, and it's just like stroking across the across the road. And right then, I was like, oh my god, like this is what I want to do. Like I want to make like help, like protect like wild kind of like places, wild animals, and following the footsteps. You know, again, like I don't think I knew it until that moment, to be totally mm. honest. Yeah. Um, and it always been kind of a part of my life, but at that point, I was like, oh man, this is it. So that I would say would be the moment. And so, um, wow. thank you to that mountain lion. You know, and, yeah. I, and again, <laughs> and again, like the silver lining. You know, I don't know if I'd be doing what I was doing if you know maybe I would have come to it eventually, but you know, father passing away like really made me you know, kind of reevaluate who I was and what I was doing. And that's wow. a terrible time for that to happen to in your life to be 19, 20. Cause I know for me, like I connected with my dad when I was a kid, but not yeah. really until I was older. 
So yeah. that's, yeah, I can't imagine that. That's yeah, it crazy. was, uh, I mean, I would say, you know, now that I'm getting to the age too, like he was just so young, you know, yeah. and it was just like, that's really young. And, you know, I have young kids now and I'm just like, man, the, the idea of like, you know, not seeing them grow up, you know, and stuff. Yeah. And like, it's just, it's, it's painful, but yeah. at the same time it's inspiring. Yeah. 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 That's, that's really scary. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. One. <laughs> no, no. That's well, how many kids do you have, Lynn? I have two kids. I got, uh. Eleven year old daughter, Sydney, and an eight year old son, Colin. Okay. And and so there's a there's a picture of me on my dad's back, like when I'm two, fishing the Big Hole River during the salmon fly hatch. Um, and then there's a picture of my daughter on my back, and I've got some video of her when she's two, and we're up um, up uh, East Fork of the Bitterroot. But it's just like this, like it's so funny how you see those pictures in your life. And again, I didn't really think how much they meant to me. Yeah. And now like that, I'm kind of doing this with my kids. It's just like, we're following them in the footsteps and yeah. how lucky are we? You know, I didn't, I, I married a, a school teacher. Um, and, uh, so, you know, we don't have any big ranch or whatever that we can go to in Montana. You know, I have some friends that have ranches, Yeah. but those public lands that are especially all around Missoula, like I'm doing the same things that my, you know, my dad got to do with me and then generations before us. Right. Yeah, it yeah. just happens that we have this gigantic kingdom called public lands, you right, know, and so right. I can take my kids out there and it's, um, I will say at this stage in my life right now, you know, I'm not getting to do as much outside as I want in the way I want it. But it's really cool to see things through their eyes. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. really yeah. cool to see things through their eyes. So. That's cool, too, and that's the way it should be. Basically, you know, when you look at that situation that you went through, you know, them, your kids not being able to maybe see their grandfather, they do see him through you. Absolutely. You know, We tell that, lots of stories, too, you know, about Papa Phil. Right. You know, right. like there's there's some that aren't involved in hunting and fishing that are super crazy, but yeah, a yeah. lot of them involve hunting and fishing, you know, and like yeah. kind of the times that we were out there and the things that we got to do, like there's a spot where we go duck hunting that my dad helped set aside called Teller Wildlife Refuge. And I remember as a kid, like going in there and again, not being able to shoot, but you know, you, you go into the little slough and there's like 200 birds erupt off of this thing, you know, and like you just, it's dark out still, but you can see them kind of black out the sky, right? Cause it's like moon and, mm. and, and like stars. And so taking my daughter and son in there and sitting in the exact same place that I sat with my dad yeah. and having the exact same thing happen and then watching those birds come in and watching the dog work, man, that's like... Like you can't, it does not get better than that, right? Yeah, yeah. And they, and they, I think you know, who knows if they're uh, soaking it in um, the way I want them to, but they're experiencing it for sure. Right, right. Yeah, that's yeah cool. and they're they're getting out and getting the opportunity, yeah. and that's that's all that matters. Yeah. If they take it and run with it, great. If they don't, whatever. Yep. They had the opportunity, Absolutely. which Absolutely. I think is awesome. That seems to be such a, why BHA is such an important organization too, because I think I would say for all four of us sitting here and Chad's not mic'd up, but I can speak for on his behalf that all of us kind of came. This should be good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Careful, Chad. <laughs> um, all of, all four of us kind of grew up. We, we kind of came to the outdoors that uh, I guess I would say the easy way mm-hmm. Our our the, the, the men and women who came before us kind of propelled us into it from a young age, but there's so many people our age that I've met just through BHA who ha- don't have that experience. Mm-hmm. And for people like us to, to be able to take people like that and introduce them, uh, maybe because they didn't have a, a mom or dad or grandparents that were, were outdoors men or women. And, and that, that I think is the part of BHA that I've seen so significantly, even just specifically here in the Minnesota chapter. Like last night I talked to three different guys who are just got into hunting. 
And it's just cool to, to talk to people because in my sphere of influence, most people I know sure. have hunted their whole lives. Yep. So to come in contact with people like that and they're asking you questions and very simple, but, um, um, you know, questions that I haven't had to think about for a long time. Yeah. And it's just really cool, yeah. you know, and I, I think that kind of plays into the way that we are with our families, but the way that we have an opportunity to kind of not only the next generation, but but also the generation that's standing right in front of mm-hmm. us, our generation too. There's so much excitement from them, right? Like, you know, yeah. we all, I mean, I get, I mean, I, <laughs> my favorite times are outside, no joke. Yep. And I have, you know, I revere them. But when you see somebody that's like 20 something, 30 something, that's just getting into hunting and fishing and the way they talk about <laughs> right. it, dude, and like, just like, and they're inquisitive and like, they're, and like you say, they're as, asking some questions that you're like, man, I like, that's just like second nature. Right. Yep. But it's just so awesome to it like is. see that. Right. And yeah. like, and then learn how they, their path and like almost every single time the path is food, you know? Yeah. Yep. And it's, yep. it's pretty cool that that's happening. Yeah. I talked to some of those folks last night too. And I always enjoy that. Um, and it's fun. I would say that, um, it's also fun to watch, uh, like we went ice fishing with my kids a couple of weekends ago they each brought friends and each and a girl and a boy and neither one of them grow up in a family like we're talking about, right? Yep. It's not yep. natural to them. Yep. And so here's my kids, 11, eight, you know, we get the holes put in the ice and we're pulling fish out of the holes and the kids are whacking them on the head and then putting, you know, the <laughs> lure right back down again. And these kids are just like, what is going on? You know, and then the one boy in particular, he, he keeps three fish and to watch him bring those fish up to his father, like up the stairs into this apartment and give that to his father. Like, oh, wow. Dude, I'm that's like, awesome. come on, man. Like, yeah. that's like what it really is all about. Totally. And so um, it's a, I, I love watching again, like I think new people get into, you know, what we all kind of. It's almost like uh, just natural for us. Right, right. And if we're not careful, we take for granted. When we come in contact with those people, uh, like you said, the excitement is just at a different level. And it it almost feels like they are not a little kid. But in that aspect, it feels like that their excitement represents almost like how a little kid gets excited totally. about some first experience. Totally. And it's so cool to come in contact with. It's funny that we're talking about that. At just the other day, I read one of Gene Hill's stories, and he talks about taking an older person out. He said, he said, everybody always talks about taking kids out and stuff like that. But he said, to take a grandfather out, to t- have a young kid go out with a grandfather and go fishing, there's more excitement to that grandfather than there actually is to that kid. Totally. And that's something that I think when I read that, I'm like, God, nobody talks about stuff like that. But I think that's a really smart point totally. too. And Gene Hill's idea was there should be a club that of younger people in between, you know, anywhere from five years old to 25 years old that literally gets together and goes to a retirement home, picks up older people and takes them out fishing. Yeah. I thought about that. I was like, that's actually really, really smart. That's awesome. And, and that's awesome. I was really kind I of blown away. Idea. I'm like, that's a really good idea because yeah. everybody pushes kids and stuff like that. And yeah, I actually yeah. had a conversation with somebody yesterday about capable partners. And I said, that's another aspect where you're getting people out that are disabled that haven't, like that Neil Jacobson I took out last year, he hasn't bought a license in 12 years. Now he's buying a license because he's coming out hunting again and he's in his 60s. You yeah, know? yeah. And it's something that I think people kind of overlook. Because when you get that age, if you don't have a younger person with you, it's tough to do. Or if you're disabled, obviously, if you don't have somebody with you that's able-bodied, it's pretty tough to do. Right. So I think that's that's another aspect to kind of think about. And when we're talking about kids, I think it's great. Taking out kids is fun. But to see the excitement in an older person is pretty pretty awesome it's like that third r like the reactivation exactly part of what we do i mean i love you know i love being by myself out in the woods a lot you know it's kind of where i find my Mm kind of inner peace that solace 
but we also go out there a lot to like hang out with people, you know? Yeah. And so like, you know, if you're, if you're in that retirement home, you know, anybody to do it with you anymore, like that probably, you're just like, man, I'm just not going to do it. And right. then yeah. get somebody that's like, Hey, I mean, I love this idea. Yeah. Get somebody like, Hey, do you want to go fishing? I could, I could just imagine seeing their eyes just light up. Yeah, like, I haven't totally. been fishing in like 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Right. Nobody's yeah. asked me for like ever, you know, like that'd be pretty rad. Right. Yeah, and if you haven't gone in that long, just going to a local casting pier yeah. is going to be phenomenal oh, totally. for that person. Yeah. You don't have to totally. take them out on the river on a boat or take them out to Mille Lacs or anything, but just sure. take them out to a casting dock. Totally. Loch Ness Park. I love this idea. I've not thought of it at all. That's it's a great, that's, great idea. Yeah, when I read it, I'm like, whoa, that's genius. No kidding. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyways, now we're sidetracked all over that's the all place. That's all right. That's, that was a good sidetrack. <laughs> that was a great sidetrack. Uh, so yeah, this year you had a pretty cool year, it looked like. You had uh, Hike to Hunt, you really crushed this year, which was awesome. Dude, year. I need Hike to Hunt. I'm a really competitive dude. <laughs> and like, you know, like I travel a lot and, uh, you know, you're, there's late nights and you're yep. eating pretty rich food and there's really, you know, it's it, you have to be very disciplined to get up in the morning to go yep. exercise. And so Hike to Hunt, you know, is this program where you know for june and july we try to get you know like we're getting ready for the hunt right yep. and we've all kind of been got to put on a little bit during the winter and, <laughs> and it's so it's about getting you know in shape i think it's um about awareness around public lands and uh it's about kind of you know we do a, a lot of hikes with people you know like uh, that's really fun for me when i'm traveling and like we're doing hike to hunt yeah like it's the one time where i'm super competitive so i'm like we're getting up in the morning we're gonna go do something <laughs> yeah and so you're hiking with people in these different places and like the camaraderie around that. And then the last part is like this raising money, right? Mm-hmm. Like people get out there. And last year, I think we raised almost $60,000. Yeah, last year was a huge success, yeah. it seemed like. But I did 400 miles in two months, dude. And that's 6.6 <laughs> miles a day. And if you miss a day, just think how that starts to stack up. Right. And uh, I. Dude, that's incredible. Oh, yeah, I lost like 20 pounds. <laughs> Just crushing it. Um, it's like a it's a, it's a grind, you know. And like I can when I'm home, I, I'm pretty good at it, you know. Yeah. But when I get on the road, and like I think I was in, God, where was I? I was like in San Francisco, and I'm doing like hills there, you know, yeah. like which oh, is yeah. pretty intense. But yeah. like um, you just got to make it happen. And I wish I could be that disciplined all the time, but hike to hunt definitely uh, helps <laughs> Propel, me with that. Yeah. Yeah. People should be hiring you to break their boots in for them. <laughs> <laughs> I went through a pair of shoes in that month. And, uh, like Hoka's, like I had like some plantar fasciitis problems. Yeah. And Hoka's, I mean, Hoka won. I'm not sponsored by them or, or anything. Yeah. But like, man, they saved my life on that. Have you seen their boot or tried their boot I yet? tried, again, I'm not sponsored by them. I tried their boots. So yeah. I got their boots because of their shoes. Yeah. I got into the bob this year, and I'm side-hilling, and there's no support. Yeah. And so if you're on trail, yeah, they're awesome. They're like yeah. like you're walking on, like, the moon, right? They're awesome. But as soon as you go off trail and you're trying to do any kind of, like, climbing, one, there isn't that. They don't have that, like, stiffness to them. No. And then when you're going side-hill, like, it's it, it was a nightmare. And, like, since yeah. you're up so high, you're almost wearing, like, platform shoes. Yeah, okay. Not that I wear platform shoes. <laughs> <laughs> You guys all looked at me like, whoa, dude, that's weird reference. But as soon as you got off trail and you're on steep stuff, man, and I can't imagine having like weight on my back, you know, with something like that. Yeah, yeah so, those yeah. boots are, I know guys that run in those boots. They're essentially running shoes yeah. with a higher top. And I, all I gave them some feedback. I was like, hey, I bought these because of this. And, yep. you know, you guys really need to think about, because not everybody's going to be walking on the trail. Right. Ultra started with, uh, Ultra Shoes started at, they, they've started picking up some brand ambassadors that are hunters now. Uh, it's smart, man. Yeah. I think there's a lot of crossover there. Like, yeah. I mean, I, there's, I mean, Solomon's. I mean, I've worn those. I rock those a lot. Yeah. because they're light. Yeah. And they do have a little bit more stiffness to them. But like, I like having light stuff, you know. And I was yeah. lucky that I brought some extra boots on that trip, or I would have been <laughs> at camp, you know. Like, it would not have been good. So <laughs> with the hike to hunt and doing all that, was it a little easier this fall? Did you notice? Oh yeah. It? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I think you know. Oh, you're I mean, carrying twenty 
pounds less, that's a huge yeah, difference. Yeah, well, I think well, I just think about that on your knees, you know. Yeah. And or you put like a you know twenty pounds of water on your back, and you're like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, I was carrying around that. And so I think that was good. Um, plus, I think you know, and this happens all the time, but like. That hike the hunt there was times where i didn't want to do it right and i got yep. up and did it and so like there's that time when you're in the woods and you're like man i don't really know if i want to like i'm just gonna hang out today and, yeah and it's like no man it's like go time and like just that mentality you know that kind of helps you so yeah i i felt much better though i went early into the bob and then after that man like you know again young kids lots of travel and i didn't get much after that um, and i i think with the hike the hunt thing if you're doing 6.6 miles a day and you miss a day and you have to do 13 or whatever the next day one thing i always try to tell guys is if you can run or hike or whatever you know 10 miles or more when you go on a hunt when you have to walk five miles it does not seem as daunting at all no i think it's like the time too right like it's like like, like, i mean because it's what i can do about four miles in an hour if i'm really walking fast yeah and then if you start jogging a little bit better but like, so then you're like, okay, this is what the time is going to be like when I'm mm-hmm. doing that, you know? And yeah. so I'm used to, you know, walking from sundown, you know, sun up to sundown, yep. you know? And that's like, yeah. it's like, it just becomes normal. It's a mental workout. Extremely. It is, for sure. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. You think about how much time you have left and that, yeah. for me, that's what I'm like, okay, just get that out of my mind and <laughs> forget about that, you know? Yeah. Try doing a hundred miler and thinking about that. No, it's I not can't. a good way to do it. I wouldn't want to. <laughs> so you got into the Bob early this year. I did. We go almost every year. Um, we've got some cousins and an uncle. Um, we go into a very, pretty much the same spot every year. Been doing this for years. We did that this year. Um, second week of September we went in. The rifle elk hunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a backcountry elk hunt. And so we go in on the southern part of the bob and go up over the top of this ridge and go in about 10 miles. Okay. And nice. then from there we set up base camp and then we kind of do stuff around. And we've got, since we've been doing it long enough, we kind of have our spots where we've you know killed elk before and know where they're going to be. And this year, um, two years ago, a fire came in there that was pretty intense that pretty much burned the whole southern half of, you know, the whole like, yeah. southern third of the bob. And I didn't go in the year before, but my cousin did, and he shot a bull. Another friend went in, and they shot a bull right in the spots where we go. And we're like, all right. There was still some, you know, the way a burn does it, it's, there's a lot of mosaic, right? And mm-hmm. there, it leaves some, like, cover. We went in there, and they were not there. They were not there. And so not in the spots. Like, we have spots that are three or four miles away from us that we can get to where we hunt. And weren't in one, weren't in two, weren't in three. And so then we really started to prospect out. And so we spent that entire week, dude, walking. And like, you know, 10, 12 miles a day, mm. 3,000, 4,000 feet of elevation, like just like humping it and didn't see fresh sign for two weeks. Um, found a spot where there was like two miles of like contiguous forest. that had a nice little meadow in it. And it's always a spot that I've always wanted to check out. So it was really cool to go, go there Had a nice big wallow in it that again, like two weeks old, I mean, scrapes everywhere. Like they'd been there. And so it was pretty frustrating. Um, I mean, it's still awesome to be in the woods, but yeah. like you're there to hunt. That's kill two something. weeks of no fresh sign. Would and, <laughs> and so we went like halfway through that. There was one day when you're just feeling like, <laughs> Like, like you're not like what is wrong with me and so one day we just said we we're like we're gonna hang out at camp and there's a, a little creek there and we we had brought fly rods in just in case we killed something early and we just crushed cutthroats all day and i was nice. like all right man you feel a little bit better you know and you <laughs> ate those cutthroats that night and you're like all right we're gonna, we can do this but on our way out you know we're we, we bring in horses and mules and on our way out we're right at the ridge uh, before you get out of the wilderness and uh, we heard wolves and it was like at noon 
And what a spectacular thing that is to hear. Mm-hmm. But then you start wondering, you know, like now the wolves are there because there's elk around. Like, yeah. you know, we just couldn't find them, you know. Yeah. And and I don't, you know, again, we'll go back there again. But it was um, it was pretty cool. And I don't know if it's like the burn. Like we didn't see, I didn't see, I think I saw one grouse the entire time I was in there. You weren't seeing squirrels. And I mean, this wow. it, it, was a, it was a hot, hot kind of like scorched earth, like moonscape kind of. And that was two years prior to that. And, and like there was some fireweed starting to come back. Yeah. But I mean, it burned hot. And wow. so I think it's just going to take some time. But then once it comes back to it, it's going to be like, money. It's going to be money. And like it's so thick in there. That now you're gonna be able. I mean, it's really cool because you can see. Like I yeah. got to see, like going to that landscape when it's burned. Like you get to see things that you've never been able to see. Sure. Because the trees aren't there anymore. Yeah. And so yeah. now when it starts to grow back up, I mean, we'll be able to glass like crazy, and it should yeah. be pretty good. That's awesome. That's, cool. And, and last year was a weird year for a lot of people, I think, because it was such a wet year too mm-hmm. that the elk weren't like congregating in certain areas. They were just freaking everywhere. Yeah, it was pretty, where we were, it was pretty dry. In fact, there was like spots where it was wet, like some of the places where we they've been before, that it was dry. Oh, really? And so I don't, you know, I, yeah. I, again, it's all kind of localized a little bit. Yeah. But mm. um, yeah, it was uh, it was frustrating, but I was definitely in better shape from Hike the Hunt. And yeah. I came out of there, like, you know, you're, you spend some time in the woods and you feel like, you know, I, I was, you always come back. I always do, and you see people like mowing their lawns, and like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all I had to do was care about like food and shelter yeah. and water while I was in right. there and hunting, right? And now yeah. it's like all of a sudden life starts again, and yeah, it's hard to kind of reassimilate. But man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that time in the woods for anything just yeah. because no. it just gets me right in the head. Yeah, yep. yeah, it's a, it's a way of reinvigorating life, yeah, for absolutely. me for sure. Yeah. Like, I come home a better person every single time, totally. Yeah. Even if I'm miserable the whole time I'm right. There. I think <laughs> yeah. that's like one of the like the you know, you think about like hunting and fishing, you think about like the outdoor economy, like the eight hundred and eighty seven billion dollars, which I think the public lands are a cornerstone of. Yeah. You think about clean air and clean water that comes from these places. Like, but that solace, I, like, I mean, like, especially in this world we're living in, right, that is so fast-paced. You know, I got my phone right here, and, yeah, like, right. I'm on it all the time and yep. communicating, which is a good thing in a lot of ways because you can really do a lot more work. But just, like, that busyness, and you don't know what it's like. That was one of the Sig Olson quotes that I used in, like, the um, in the hearing. I'm not going to recite it right, but it's like he talked about the fast-paced life, and that was <laughs> – like, like, long time ago, back, you know, like in the 40s, right? right. So I'm like, You're like, what was your fast-paced life, Sig? <laughs> but they had the same sentiment, right? You right, know, now totally. that's even way worse. Like, I think, you know, again, find those places. And whether that's in the bob or, like, on a, on a lake where you can kind of turn it off or on a river or whatever it is, like, those opportunities to be able to turn it off, whether that's for a couple hours or for a few days, like, I mean, how important is that to us? You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so much has been written and said about what wilderness and those secluded places do for kind of just the human condition. And I think, I think if we're not careful, uh, we won't prioritize that. And that's something I love about BHA that it prioritizes that. It pri- it prioritizes the places where we can go experience that. And yeah, my wife even tells me she's like she's she loves when I do go. Uh, not because I'm gone, but because when I come back, I'm so refreshed and I'm a different person where just work and things can bog you down. And then you go and experience that. And I will admit sometimes when you come back, it's a hard adjustment because you're like, man, that you kind of feel like you went and touched something real and come back to something artificial, Totally. you know, and which you kind of do, but, um, so my wife kicks me out. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> she's, like, hey, she's like, hey, you need to go outside. Yeah. And I said, you know, if I just go out, we live, you know, about a mile and a half until I can get into uh, Forest Service land. I'll go up there, take a walk with the dog or go cross-country skiing or something just for like a couple hours. And I come back just a new person. And she's yeah. like, yeah, you needed that, didn't you? And I was yeah. like, yes, thank you. That's, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. what I was going to say, too. My wife will literally, like, if I'm cranky or touchy on certain things, she'll tell me, you need yeah. to go take a night and go camp somewhere or go yeah. away for a little bit or whatever. So, totally. Yeah. There's definitely something gift. to it. For, it's a gift. Right? It is. Big time. It is. Um, so yeah, so you got into the bob a little bit this year and I yeah. saw you did a decent amount of waterfall and birding yeah. it seemed like this year, as much as you could, obviously yeah. you're a busy guy. So. It's a, something though that you can, you know, it's, I don't like going big game hunting for like half a day, Yeah, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like, I want to go immerse myself, but yeah. waterfowling I can go do in the morning or do on the weekends and yeah. it's something my kids can do. I got a boat this year, which I'm super yeah, stoked I saw about. That. That's cool. Um, <laughs> if, uh, it definitely, I've... I've been going with friends that have boats, you know, and I think you probably all know what that's about. Like, yeah. you gotta like, you know, it's gotta be on their schedule and whatever, you gotta do yeah. what they wanna do. And now, you know, I got my boat, you know, yeah. and I did, and we hunt rivers, and uh, I did tear the prop off this year. So I, you know, like, like, I, uh, 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 there's also experiences of having your own boat. That you have to like. <laughs> yeah, there's goods and bads to it for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we had a hunt this year, and the only time my boat wouldn't start was when we had a group of people relying on yeah. me every other time. That's what it usually happens, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> this, this day, we had a group of people, too, and, you know, we can only, this river, the maximum horsepower you can have is 15 horse, mm. and so you can't load the boat down, you know, and so we had to do two runs. And so there was two boats, and we were both doing two runs. And so the first one, my buddy gets stuck, like, you know, and it's like, it's gravelly and he gets stuck, doesn't rip his prop off. But I go by and I'm just kind of like, eh. <laughs> get up to where our blind is, come back, get the other people. I'm going through that spot again. And I hit this rock, dude. And, it, and, I, and I went, reached back to like push down to get up above. And I just, it turned the throttle. And did you hear this? Oh. And I was like, so I had to get out. And you know, it's in the dark. And so I have somebody and I'm like, I'll get back and I hold the boat and I kind of get us right. And I'm like, all right get us away from this kind of shallow spot. And I'm like, all right, hit it. And he's like, and there's nothing happening. I'm like, hey, put it in drive. It's in neutral. And he's like, it is. And I was like, what? And we pick it up. And it had ripped off like all the props. And I was like, oh, man. And I took it into the boat shop and I showed them. And they're like, you know it's a problem. They start bringing people from other departments to look at it. And I was like, oh, man. Yeah. But we got that taken care of. And Did you, uh, did you add a rock guard now? or? I bought one. I haven't put it on yet. Yeah. Uh, my buddy who was with me that day bought one. And then in the same certain area, he put that rock on bought, or the guard on it. He hit a rock and it tore the whole uh, it, off the transom. Like, yeah. it, like he had, it was in like six feet of water because it floated down. Yeah. And he had to like somehow, I think his gas line, like it was floating up, like or whatever. Like, <laughs> and so he was able to like get it and then move it down and move it down and move it down. <laughs> but like that's part of the things they say about uh. that is it does protect you, but then it takes, you know, it doesn't. Um, take the impact as well i guess yeah you gotta mm. yeah it's they're one of those they're iffy I, I have a friend that custom makes his own because okay. he's got one that'll either break away or it's small enough that if it hits it's got a right angle so it'll just lift the motor up right. nice and easy and that's but, yeah so i haven't put it on yet but um it's a whole new world for me i love yeah. it and it's uh i mean i can't wait to explore even this summer you know fishing and stuff yeah i grew up with rafts but now this is my first motorboat so i'm pretty stoked about it and what is it a 16 footer 14 lumacraft i was looking for like a 15 you know but yep. again with this like this river i like to hunt a lot it's 15 horses the maximum so yep. you really got like I don't know, but it's wide open. You know, it yeah. has a nice deck on the front. Um, I don't know if I'll, you know, put a blind and stuff on it because we, we kind of stash the boat and yeah. we put, you know, make our own blinds. But 
Cool. We'll see. Awesome. We'll see. It's like it's a fun problem to have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so river hunting, you, you're hunting a lot of like kind of tight quarter kind of stuff then, or is it pretty the, open? Yeah, or? I mean, I think that we hunt a lot of um, warm water sloughs okay. and then that come off the rivers just because, you know, I live in western Montana, so we don't have uh, a big flyway, you know? Yeah. Um, and so we're kind of in between the Pacific and the central flyways. And we don't have a lot of agriculture around, but there's a couple of rivers where we do. And, and so figuring out where the birds are and then setting up. Yeah. So there's a lot of scouting. Um, and then once you figure it out, of course, then they move. But um, we've, have, we've had, some, we had some really good days this year, and then we had some so-so days. Yeah, I've heard that in Montana, the people that I've talked to said if you can find where stuff is thawed in late season then it gets pretty that's, easy that, yeah it's like and that's just think about that right like everything's frozen so yeah. there's a finite place yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean they're gonna be there and it's yeah. usually like little cricks and stuff like that is what i've heard the little cricks usually do phenomenal in montana like late season which sounds awesome to me <laughs> just yeah, yeah. shooting mallards yeah, i haven't hunted, I haven't hunted uh, <laughs> uh you know flooded timber but this there's this creek kind of that runs through this place where my dad helped set aside Teller Wildlife Refuge. And like it's cottonwoods, like pretty tall cottonwoods right there. And so those birds it feels like, you know, I've seen videos of like how they come in, you know, down south, like when they're in flooded timber. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. They're up and all of a sudden they're just boom coming down. And there's no like circling, like they're on top of you. Which That's is pretty awesome. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. Um, did you do you ever get out for spring bear or turkey or anything you like know, that? You uh, I've I've been out in spring turkey a couple times um, with my daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have not seriously hunted turkeys yep. this year or yet. Uh, this year, I've got a trip down to Oklahoma um, and then another trip, I think, up to Pennsylvania where I'm going to go with people that know what they're doing. Nice. nice. So I, I've, I've just never gotten into it. Yep. My dad was never into it. Uh, bear, it's interesting. Like I... I've I've walked in the woods with my rifle in the spring. Uh, this last year was the first time that I was actually in the woods. And I'm like, I think I, if I saw one, I would shoot one. Hmm. Like, you know, I think that, yeah. that but time before it was just like, I'm out with buddies. Like, I've been around a lot of bears. I've been shot. I've eaten a lot of bear. I have no problem with it. Yep. But just like personally, I was like, man, I don't know if I'll ever do that. And then this year I was like, well, if I see a bear, and of course, then you don't see a bear. Right. <laughs> um, but I love that opportunity to get out in the spring, you know. It's and, awesome. I mean, it's uh, everything is, you know, you're kind of got cabin fever a little bit. Right. And then, you know, green up is happening, so it's just gorgeous. And, like, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, I do covet that time, and I and so, you know, if I see a bear this year, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. I've been Brian and I have talked about this all the time, but spring bear hunting, I don't think there's anything like it. Being yeah. out in the mountain as the as the mountain is literally coming to life is because that's totally. where you want to be. You want to be right yeah. where totally. everything's sprouting yeah. up, and it's there's something to be said about that. I think yeah. that's a pretty awesome thing to do, whether you're bear hunting or just hiking. Well, yeah, and I mean, and just, then all the things yeah. you're gonna see, right? You know, yeah. I think that. This last year we were bear hunting for like four days, and uh, at one point like it was just dumping rain, and like one of these ones where you I was to... I was right by you, I think that day. Okay, <laughs> we were batting down the hatches, right? It was just like nightmare. And then that kind of starts to clear, and it's foggy. Yeah, we go over the top of this ridge where we've been sitting, kind of glassing, and kind of moving a little bit, and so you get to see something else. And this herd of like twenty five cows comes through at like. 75 yards doesn't know we're there there's three of us and we just hunker down and watch this happen and it was so awesome yeah, that's was awesome. Like, i mean just watch them move through the woods and that lead cow man she was so nervous like her head was up the entire time you know yeah. and, um and we did that we walked down that ridge and there was wolf kills all along in there and so oh, they were man. just looking over their shoulder the entire time that's awesome but it was really cool and like you know i wouldn't have seen that sitting on the couch in the spring no you know? right like, like berry hunting got me out into the woods and it was pretty cool. That's awesome. Where were you at? I was uh, general I, area. I was. I'll say this. I was by the Traeger trailer. 
I okay. saw the Traeger trailer when I was moving spots. Got it. And that's when I talked to Ty later on. And so I we said, were yeah, really I was, close. I was right by you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you say close, you're like right We were on, on top. top of each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Did so you that, find a bear? No, but we found plenty of tracks and signs. Yeah, yeah. It rained on us every night. Yeah. It, I mean, last year's trip was tough because it literally rained at prime time every single day I was mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. And that night when I saw – the day after I saw the Traeger truck um, – that night we just we it poured on us so hard yeah. and yeah. we just pulled the plug at that point. My tent literally I was at the very top of the mountain, like back where the access is to get into the wilderness area. Yeah. And my tent had blown over and a pole had snapped on my tent and poked through the rain fly and all my oh, stuff no. got wet. It was that bad up there that yeah, day. So yeah, I talk went, about that like go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say you went early, right? You went earlier than me. Yeah, I it was really like a week late. before you, or yeah. I think, or two weeks before you. Was, okay, yeah. yeah. it was like second or third week in May. I don't remember. Yeah, second, I think, I think it was. Week. Okay, like yeah. yeah, I remember I you saying it was pretty rainy. It was miserable. Yeah. And then I, elk hunting, same thing. Yeah. Damn I think, though, like I was just going to bring up that, like, besides that solace, like, it's also like that, like, embracing the suck or whatever, yep. you know, that you hear, or I call it another thing, is like grit, right? Yeah. And yeah. so, like, it's those times where, like, it seems like the whole world is against you, you know, and like, yeah. And like most of the time, you're like, all right, like this. But then there's also times you're like, I gotta throw in the towel. This is a nightmare, <laughs> right. you know. Right. Like, it might get dangerous at some point. All my stuff is wet, and yeah. I'm not, you know, and it's gonna continue to rain. Like yeah. I gotta pull the plug. And like, it's pretty cool that you get to get in those situations to test yourself. Yeah, right? you know that challenge is like something that you don't get much in your life. You yeah. Know? So, no, and I, totally. yeah, that's one of the biggest benefits I think to like the wilderness. That's that's yeah. my my part that I really like about like like going west and getting into those large tracks of public land where totally. you're hiked in and you're packed in, you know, so you're self-reliant. Yep. And I think to me, I think that's the biggest benefit is like for kids or young adults or people, you know, even older people that haven't had a chance to do something like that. Yeah. If you can get a mentor to help you and get started in something like that, I think that builds so much character. Being out there where you've got no choice but to embrace the suck is is something else, I think. Yeah. And, and rely on yourself, you know, like yep. you just said, self-reliance, I think is a really important thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nobody else is going to help you out besides you. No. Right? Uh, and I think that's, I think those wilderness camps that they have and stuff like that for young kids, yeah, I think that's the bound. greatest yeah. thing in the world, because if you want to build confidence in a kid, show them that they can rely on themselves and be self-reliant and yeah. self-sufficient yeah. Totally. in a situation like that. And they're going to come out way better than they were when totally. they came in. And the confidence you feel after something like that. Exactly. You know, the, the more you experience things like that and come out on the other side, you feel you feel accomplished. Yep. Like, man, I really went through something, totally. you know, and it yeah. was significant. It's my, a cool feeling. My first solo archery elk trip, I came out feeling like a whole new person. Felt like Superman when I came out. I was like, yeah. holy crap, I did this. Yeah. You know, like, this is I awesome. It, right? Like, what else can you say? Like, that's pretty amazing it to be able to do amazing. that stuff so yeah. and i think again coming out just a better person just from being out there you know whether it's in your backyard going cross-country skiing really quick or something yeah. like that i think the public land thing is so huge yesterday i had a slow day and i snuck out back and went for a walk i've got public i've got a wma in my backyard Sweet. and i literally just walked out there with the dog for a half hour and came back and was like god this is so nice yeah like i'm yeah. so lucky to have that right in my backyard and we're lucky as americans in general to have that as an opportunity all over the country yeah and i talk about how we all live like kings and queens right? yeah like, right you know, i mean again like and it was embarrassment of riches you know like i'm giving a talk later today and like from florida to maine to you know north dakota to montana to alaska 
Like that's all ours. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know? Right. Yeah. Who else can say that? Nobody else can no, say that, right? No. Like we're very lucky. Well, yeah. uh, the North Face did a really good film years ago on the Mike and Mike, Montana Mike and another guy. They're ultra runners and they ran the 600 mile journey from the bottom of the wilderness up into Banff wow. and ended up in Banff and they did it completely self-sufficient. Hmm. Mike Foot. Yep. Yeah. And imagine anywhere else in the world that you could do that. I mean, there's places, but it's not all public land. It's just open land. So it's, it's I mean... It's pretty amazing what we have here. That, yeah. I have a. I was at the Sheep Show a couple of years ago, and this woman comes up to me, and she's like, I just want to tell you that I love your organization, and I don't hunt or fish, but I'm a life member. And I was like, oh, really? Why? She's like, I'm a long-distance equestrian rider. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so, like, you know, she's like, I'm not wow. going to go to some place and go back and forth, back and forth. Like, I want to do, like, 100 miles, like, mm-hmm. where I am, like, going from one spot to another. Yeah. And she's like, public land is the only place that, you know, that does that for me. Yeah. And, like, you guys are fighting for me every single day, and so thank you. And I was like, that's, cool. that's awesome. And she was there with her husband at the Sheep Show. I asked her that, like, why are you here? And, um, but it was really cool. And it's, like, one of those things you're like, man, cool. this matters to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I, I've, I've talked about it before. I push it to ultra runners all the time. Yeah. Because all of our trail races are on, like, all the ones here are on public land. Um, there's little bits of private you have to go sure. through, but, like, Superior Hiking Trails, Umbro Bottoms, like, all these places, uh, Kettle Moraine 100, like, all these races are all on public land. You wouldn't have that without, you yeah. know, somebody fighting for it. Yeah. It would go away at any moment. So joining BHA is a no-brainer for a lot of these people. So yeah. It's a great shameless plug. Thank you. It's something that uh, I've, I've, I've come to find out that a lot of people just aren't aware of the fact that they own this land. Totally. No. And that's interesting because I, I would say up until 10 years ago, I wasn't really aware. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd hunted and fished my whole life, many, many places on public land and not, not put it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so you, you, I still meet people like you wear your, you know, public landowner t-shirt and people kind of laugh like, <laughs> I like that. I'm like, yeah, but it's seriously though. And you own it too. Yeah. You know, and, and I've said that to a few people and they're like, huh. It, like it hits them. The light bulb yeah. is pretty sweet. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you yeah. know, and it, it's cool to see that. You know, because yeah, I, I, I think uh, people, like you said, people just don't realize it. Mm-hmm. And when you talk to people about, like I've talked to people in recent years about going out west, they're like, well, where would you go? It's like, pull up a map. You see green, you can go, <laughs> you can go there <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. You go to the national park. But. Yeah, well, yeah. you can, but yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, I think it's. Uh, Knowing that story, like Jim Posowitz is one of my mentors and he's a huge like Theodore Roosevelt buff and kind of just a conservation kind of history kind of person. And I think one of the most important things that we can do is like tell that story, you know, and I think podcasts like this, you know, where people are hearing things long form are Mm -hmm. super important. Yeah. And because I mean, again, like you've talked about how like, can you've grown up with all this, you know, opportunity and you've hunted on public lands, but you really didn't know. And like, if you don't know the story and how we got there and how... I mean, it's 130 years old, pretty much, you know? Like, mm-hmm. and if you don't know that story, then it's like, that stuff can get taken away like this, right, right? right? And like, and it's up to us to like, one, know that story and then do what we can now and then make sure that we pass it on to the next generation so they have something to like, you know, fight for too. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's yeah. the way it's going to continue. But without that education, like I, I wear that shirt all the time too. And 
especially when I'm traveling and I'll get like high fives from TSA agents, you know, and then like somebody <laughs> yeah. will be like, what does that mean? Like, you know, like, and they kind of like, like, and I'm like, oh, how much time you got? Like, when's your plane? You know? right. Like, I'll either give you the 30 second or like the 20 minute. And, uh, and then like they walk away and like, I think those conversations are, I mean, we're all ambassadors, right? Right. And I think that we need to have those conversations all the time. Yeah. And I've learned to appreciate it so much more since I became aware of that. Mm-hmm. It, everything that I do now uh, that's a piece of it in that puzzle. Like when I'm planning a hunt or I'm going to go do something, one piece of that puzzle is the fact that what I'm doing, I could not do if this went away, yeah. Yeah. you know, uh, the majority of what I'm doing could not happen. And, and so I, it, it just causes you to appreciate it so much more, yeah. you know, once, once you become aware of it. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think BHA is doing an amazing job of that. Um, but when I signed up to be a member, it was at a film tour. I don't remember which one it was hunting film tour or something like that. And I walked up and Will Jenkins was actually the one that first talked to me and talked to me about BHA. And I was like, I walked in the room and signed up like as the film was showing, I'm like, that makes so much damn sense. And ever since then, it's like your whole world changes when you realize like what is actually happening or what these are to us. But before that, you never even gave it a thought. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's actually interesting. I was thinking about, I think Correct me if I'm wrong, Chad, but I think it went so. Will introduced you. You introduced me, and I talked to Chad. Yep, I remember so when you were talking. Right that's, right. yeah. that's the way it should work, right? Yeah. That's yeah. like you know our retention rate is like around 83 percent. Yeah. yeah, and it's because like like it's not like I mean we've done some promos like you get you know a free shirt or whatever become a member. But it's because of conversations like that, right? Like and like and so when you get brought into the fold or brought into the family like that, like it's like by somebody that you know and somebody that you respect and trust. And yeah. then like you obviously we have to earn the trust as an organization. Yeah. But that first kind of I call them high touches, right? Like that first kind of touch is like really quality touch and like and it's really like a third party validator almost, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I, that's awesome that that's the way that happened. Yeah. yeah. Keep spreading the word. Yeah, definitely. Uh, no, yeah, for sure. It's not a hard sell. No. Now that once you get involved yeah. and you talk to people and even yeah. just a few pint nights when i talk to people now uh that i i'm trying to get interested it's not a very hard sell you know to to most of the people that i've come in contact with yeah paul you know? is a paul's a prime example of that paul um, he's a past podcast guest of ours but we were with him last week at the public grouse thing and he talked about it and we were at kettle moraine 100 at the race crewing for a friend and i had a bha magazine with me mm-hmm. and he was hurt so he was kind of sitting in a chair all day <laughs> i threw it at him I'm like why don't you read this and he started reading it and he used to hunt never did he hasn't done it for i don't remember what he said the other night if it was like 12 or 15 years he hasn't been hunting and now he's like i'm dropping all races this year and i'm going full on everything he's like i'm gonna go turkey hunting i'm gonna he said anything i can get a license for in minnesota i'm gonna buy it and <laughs> that's, awesome, it. Yeah, that's, like, awesome. that's so and he's a life member bha cool. he was a life member before he started hunting again so and that's cool. He's the same one that's in the Boundary Waters now. And yeah, just like little tiny conversations like that and just making people aware. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. I remember when we had the conversation, he's like, you know, I've never thought of that. I was yeah. like, yeah, nobody does because we, we take it for granted because yeah. it's there. And I think that like, like we take it for granted and then again it's like this it's only 130 years old man this is still an experiment yeah. and like yeah. yes we know the big names of the Roosevelt's and the Alla Leopold's and the Rachel Carson's and Ding Darling's but then there's thousands of people that helped us make that happen man yeah, and yeah. like that's really why we have what we have right yeah. And like yeah. you know like, democracy doesn't happen just because you want it to in this country it's like it's driven by those who show you up right? and yeah. so you have to make it happen and that's we're just 
we're here, you know, to do our part right now during our time. And then, you know, somebody else is going to have to do that because right. the yeah. same pressures that Roosevelt felt we're feeling today, the same pressures we're feeling, they're going to feel in another hundred years. You know, yeah, that's right. never going to go away. And as these resources become more finite, like there's going to be much more pressures that are going to put on top of them. So yeah. it's just up to us, you know, to make sure that they, that we pass them on to the next generation, which is kind of, it's kind of daunting, but it's also kind of exciting to be, you know, knowing that you're part of a continuous wheel, I would say. Yeah, and to, and to put your voice out there because I think Paul actually mentioned uh, he found out we were going to be doing a podcast with you, and he said, "Could you ask Land?" He said, "I'm I, I always write in and I always call on issues. Uh, what would be and maybe we could kind of wrap up with this. Yeah, yeah. What would be some? We talked earlier about turning up the heat. Yeah. What would be some ways?" outside of, of those two avenues to kind of turn the heat up a little bit. And, you know, for us, we think about something like this podcast as yeah, that, you know, absolutely. trying to get this out there to people so they can hear these conversations at a deeper level. But what would you suggest as well as kind of some other ways? So I'm going to kind of break it down on like effectiveness, I okay. would say. So there's like the emails that you send. Probably It's important, but it's probably the least effective. Okay. Phone calls then are the next, right? And now yep. they're that person that's on the other end and they're making, basically making a score sheet that day and they'll give their boss, you know, like a, a, a scorecard at the end of the day. And it's like, this is how many phone calls I had and this is what that was for and what was for, who, this is who was for and this is who was against. Okay. So I got the next one. Um, opinion editorials, letters to the editor, uh, staff is looking at that all the time. It's a way to get out to the masses. I mean, podcast is one of those ways, but print is, you know, some people think it's totally going away. It's not like, I mean, especially for politicians, they, they, they're really, um, their staff pays attention to it. And then I think the fourth one, which is probably the most important is that like politicians are very accessible, right? Especially when they're on like the stump when they're running. And so going to an event, um, and then, you know, talking to them and talking to them about what your important issues are. And like, I think, you know, they may, they probably won't commit to you. They'll probably, you know, smile at you and say, thank you. But enough people are doing that and enough noise is happening. They're like, holy cow, like I need to pay attention to this. Like politicians, I don't want to put them all in the same box. But they put their finger up in the air, right, a lot of times and, like, see where the wind's blowing. And mm. the way they figure out where that wind's blowing, it's all these things I just talked about. Yeah. But that face-to-face in particular, when you get to look them in the eye and, like, hey, I've got one issue. And let's say it's the Boundary Waters and this is what I care about and we need to protect that place. Yep. They hear that once, twice, three times. All of a sudden they're like, man, like, this is, this is a lot louder than maybe I thought it was. Yeah, right? yeah. And so I think those are the ways I would do it. And then I think, you know, the, the last one is just is talking to other people, you know, and getting them engaged. Yeah. I think, you know, our voices all count but the you know the more that we do this uh, as a group the louder our voices get right Definitely. that megaphone just gets much bigger and bigger and bigger and so growing that kind of uh that grassroots army is like super important but individual voices you know no, never underestimate you know i think that you know i was talking to greg last night um and he's been in this fight for like 20 you know whatever 40 50 years and it's like, where would we be with people like, like you know, like like Greg? Like, where would we be without them? You know, uh, and it yeah. takes like just this grind, you know. And like sometimes, and like I, that probably doesn't sound great for people that are listening, because it sounds daunting. But at the same time, like again, that's how this country works. And yeah. if you're not going to show up and show up and show up, it just takes a couple times where you don't show up and something happens, and then getting stuff back is almost impossible. Yeah, almost yeah. impossible. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think it's good to let people know that it is a grind so they know what they're getting into a little bit. It is. And I think, you know, we live in a we live in a state of uh, like instant gratification right now. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, like you you get a text from somebody and like, you know, it's like this Pavlov dog and you got to look at it. It's like, oh, no, that's my friend. Oh, I'm going to text him back. You're like, oh, I feel good now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like. 
that's not the way policy works, you no. know, most of the time. And so it is that grind. And so I think we as conservation leaders and I think conservation communicators need to do a better job celebrating when we do get wins. Sure. And, you know, I think that it's, there's so much going on that like you get a win and then it's like, okay, on to the next one. Yeah. Right? Like you got us, I think really revel in that win once in a yeah. while because it does take so long um, and uh, we should celebrate that and then kind of play triage on like, how did that happen? You know, and, like, why did it happen? How do we do this? And then take that energy and that celebration onto the next fight. Yeah. And cause yeah. again, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a constant, constant, constant um, game and uh, we need to be involved in it. Cause if we're not, like I say this all the time is that like, if we're not at the table, we're on the menu. Mm. I, like there's other people sitting at that table that are, you know, I mean, you think about like big industry in general, they got money and they got lobbyists out the yin yang, man. Those people are talking to politicians all the time. Yeah. yeah. Like we don't have that money, but you know what? We got the people, you know, yeah, <laughs> so right. like use your voice. Totally. That's the way I would end with it is use yeah. your voice. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for being oh, the head of BHA and doing what you do and what you've done over the years. I mean, I think you guys, like I said before, I think you guys are doing a great job, the education aspect of it, getting the word out. Um, I think it's a whole new world compared to what it was 10, 15 years ago when people weren't even aware of what's going on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think you guys are doing a great job. Minnesota is a perfect example. I mean, when I signed on, I think there was less than 100 yeah. members, and now we're at 1,600. And um, it just keeps growing and there's more and more awareness and more and more of these conversations happening. Yeah. Which is like well, it's one big team. Yeah. I appreciate, you know, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, I'm very lucky to be doing what I'm doing, you mm -hmm. know, especially when I think about my background and like kind of, uh, and finding BHA, um, it was like a, just like this huge opportunity. And so I'm thankful for that every day, but man, we got an awesome team. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that whether that's staff or volunteers, I mean, the amount of time and work that people are putting into this and, the you know, the amount of passion that they have and bringing more people into the fold, like, that doesn't happen by accident. You know, no. I can go out and talk and have all these plans, but it's the people on the ground that are making this happen. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, appreciate the props, but, I mean, I think I push that right back on you guys. You know, I, mean, I yeah. really mean that is that like, without – <laughs> yeah without you all yeah like it's just it's a it's smoke and mirrors but like this is a real movement and, yeah yeah and it's like when you're in a movement you know it and you can't really create it it just kind of happens right yeah. So. yeah i think for all of us i think it's a labor of love yeah. mm -hmm. we all yeah. enjoy it yeah and um it's well, worth yeah. it yeah it's definitely worth it yeah, yeah. Well, Lan, thanks for joining us again. Oh, thanks for having and, me. And uh, just to our listeners out there, uh, you hear us talk about BHA quite often, but if you still have yet to pull the trigger and get involved, this would be a good follow-up. Uh, this episode would be good to, to kind of hopefully nudge you in that direction. And if you have any questions or anything, there are plenty of people, uh, the Contact Outdoors team here included, to reach out to. Uh, whether it's on Instagram or email, you reach out to backcountryhuntersandanglers.org. Yeah, just uh, backcountryhunters.org. Back, Not that okay. we don't care about anglers. It just got really <laughs> long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> backcountryhunters.org. Yeah, reach out and get involved because uh, the, these these fights are important and we need as many voices and as many people as possible. So thanks again. And Thank you. Got, we're going to go have fun at Pheasant Fest. Let's go do it. I just want to spell it P H E S T. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. We'll see you on the next one. The Contact Outdoors crew would like to send out a sincere thank you to all of our listeners. The Backcountry Dreaming Podcast is brought to you by Contact Outdoors and directed by Brian Holberg. Original music and audio production by Dakota Rankin. Connect with us online 
links to our website, Instagram, and Facebook can be found in the show notes.